And so, hey, good morning for those of you that I've not yet met. Uh, my name is Prentice, and I get the privilege to be lead pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. Uh, and as Megan said, we are one of six locations around the city, uh, and we call ourselves Bethany Community Church. Uh, and this morning, we wrap up. Again, we are in this series with all six locations, and we are simply calling this uh, sermon series Gather, Grow, and Go. It's the three pillars of what we believe and what we value as a church. We, we go as in, you know, we, we talked about what it looks like to be on mission, uh, to be missional for the kingdom of God. That, um, that mission is not something we do, but mission is who we are. That's something we talked about. Uh, but not only that, we grow in our faith, in our community, in our understanding of Christ. Uh, and this morning, we talk about the idea of gathering, we gather as a people of God, uh, and we call that church. And, and, and I know that in the last few years, uh, the word church for some is exciting, for some it's scary, for some it's saddening, for some it's, 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 it creates some anger and anxiety. So I hope that we can unpack that a little bit this morning. And uh, I would say this, in addition to gathering, this collective uh, element of worshiping and praying together, uh, there's this idea of meeting in smaller groups as well. We uh, conveniently call that small groups. And so we are going to launch those uh, in the next few weeks here, but we're still looking for a few leaders to lead these groups. So if you feel called to cultivate a small group of, of friendships that will grow, that will go together, that will gather together, I would love to talk to you. Uh, please meet me or, or Megan at the uh, Connect table. and You can fill out a uh, uh, Connect card to say, hey, I want to lead. And, and when I say that, it doesn't mean you have to have it all together. It doesn't even mean you have to know exactly what you're going to lead. We have ideas for you if you want them, but we do want it to be a, an intentional space for smaller groups of people to meet and to grow and to do life with each other because we think that's important. So if that's you... We would love to chat with you after the service. So, let's get started. Uh, today's scripture comes from Luke, uh, Acts, uh, which Luke wrote, uh, chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and I typically read out of, out of the NRSV. Uh, and the word of the Lord says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods uh, and distribute the proceeds to all that had need. Day by day, as they spent time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and the church that you have called us to be. And we know that we are just a tiny, tiny part of your kingdom. Uh, and there's churches all over the world, right this second, worshiping you and praying to you, believing and having hope in you. And so may we contribute to that collective that, may, that, that we know that we are a part of a body that uh, is to love you and to love others. And so teach us what that means. In your name we pray, amen and amen. 
There's a, uh, a survey institute, especially a, a group that does studies around the church called the Barna Group. And the Barna Group surveyed over 96,000 Americans over the last 20 years. Uh, and there were some interesting findings in this uh, study. Uh, and this was just last year, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to what the latest information would be. It is this, 32% of practicing Christians no longer attend church since the pandemic. And again, this is about a year old. 32% of practicing Christians no longer attend. I would imagine it's even more than that today. In 1993, the church attendance was at around 45%. Today, it's 29, lowest it's been since the 1940s. Barna Group identified Generation Z, age 13 to 25, uh, to be the first truly post-Christian generation. Now, the reality is, especially for young people, uh, people are leaving the church. They're leaving this gathering space for, for, for a variety of different reasons. And if you haven't noticed, and maybe myself being in the world of church and statistics and studies and church culture, uh, people are leaving in droves, and this should be no surprise to us. This has been happening for the last 20 years, but it's accelerated since the pandemic, since the last two to three years of all the things that are happening, uh, again, around race, which we'll talk about, around politics, around ideologies, around worldviews. Uh, not only are families and communities and friends being divided and polarized, but so is the church. And, and for much of that reason, we shouldn't be surprised that the church is, not just our church, but church as a whole, has been on a decline. And it's scary and it's sad to think that the Generation Z and, and younger are on the road to what scholars would call post-Christendom or post-Christianity uh, something that much of Europe is experiencing even to this day, right now. It, also, the reality is, though, that many of us can completely understand why there might be so much confusion, skepticism, doubt, anger, sadness uh, towards the church, because the truth is, Christians, and oftentimes myself, we have not exactly embodied the character of Jesus, especially in the last few years. There was a famous quote by, by Gandhi where he said this. He says, and maybe you've heard this quote before, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. And this is from Gandhi. I like your Christ, but not your Christians because they are so unlike your Christ. And again, we, we've seen this. We've been this before our, ourselves. And I was talking with somebody just the other day, and, and they said, you know, you can know your Bible inside out, and you can still be a, I'll, I'll just say it in this family friend, jerk. They didn't quite use those words or that word, but you can know your Bible inside out and still be a complete jerk. And, and I thought that is so true. And because of that, 
we probably, because of that, we see what we see today, this extreme decline and really irrelevance, or at least seemingly irrelevant element of what it means to be a Christian that attends church. Uh, and here's some of the things that the Barna Institute and others have heard. Number one, the church has been harmful and hateful. And many of us, we've seen this before. I haven't seen it in a while, but, you know, driving by the stadium or big events, there's people with big old signs with hateful messages. There's people with judgmental attitudes that are putting people down that might think differently, that might vote differently, that might even have a different theology of God. We've seen Christians, the church, have behaved in a way that is harmful and even hateful. And no wonder we're seeing the statistics that we are seeing when it comes to church in our gathering. Another thing that people have talked about is churches being oftentimes associated with Christian nationalism. Uh, Jesus is my king, and this is uh, statements we've seen, and this isn't to be political, but Jesus is my king, and Trump is my president. Jesus is my king, but Biden is my president. Well, whoever it is, you name, you name it, it doesn't even matter. And I say this time and time again, over and over, that anytime we use the word and next to Jesus, Jesus and your favorite political party, Jesus and money, Jesus and your job, Jesus and, you know, even relationships in your life, that is not the way of Christ. That is not what it means to pursue God. And yet, because we've entered into a society, even in the Christian world, where it's been Jesus and fill in the blank, that has turned off many people towards the church and even Jesus. We see white supremacy, we see homophobia, we see sexism, we see hypocrisy, mean-spirited, being judgmental, being too political, not being political enough. We see churches be, or the church be accused of being irrelevant. I had a conversation not too long ago with somebody from uh, the church, and he said, Prentice, I I haven't gone to church in over two years, uh, starting off because of the pandemic, and, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, and you know what, Prentice, nothing changed in my life. Everything was just fine. Nothing was bad, nothing was really great, but just nothing was different. I don't, I don't feel like I was missing out on much. And, and it made me realize, ah, I don't know what's going on with the church and even our church. And it, the reality is for a lot of people, not only are they turned off for X, Y, Z reason, but frankly, it just seems like the church has been irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether you attend or you don't attend. It has no impact or has no impact on people's lives. Again, it's no wonder many have viewed Jesus and especially the church with a, dis a distaste, an apathy, where we're in a time where people are seeking meaning and significance in morals and ethics, and people are searching elsewhere because the church has not played its part. And if you're in here and if you've ever felt burned by the church or even if the church was irrelevant or the church has hurt you in some kind of way, A, I am so sorry to hear that, especially maybe you're watching from a distance. Thank you for taking a risk this morning on showing up, whether it's digitally or physically or whether you'll watch sometime this week. Thank you for taking the chance on a place that perhaps have brought so much angst 
to you. And my hope this morning is that we would reframe what it means to be not only Christians, but a Christian that enters into a space, a holy and divine space, such as what we call church, to worship, to be in fellowship, to pray, and to serve one another. And I would say more, now more than ever, the question of what is this about? Why do we go to church and why is it important is is a question that's really important more now than ever. And in Matthew, Jesus talks about what the church, first of all, is about And then in Acts, which we just read, talks about what the church should look like in light of that. Let me just read from you Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and I'll just read a few verses at a time. Uh, And the verse says this, now when the disciple, so when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And so Jesus is here in Philippi, not in Caesarea Philippi, which, not to be confused with the Caesarea on the coast, but this was a Caesarea that was a border town uh, where it was known to be filled with many Gentiles. And it's really where Gentiles and Jews cross paths. It was a very secular, very uh, non-Christian or non-religious place of the ancient Near East. And the reputation for Caesarea Philippi uh, was that there was a lot of shrines to to false gods and false idols. There was a lot of statues. Uh, It was a very non-religious space, and it was a place where Gentiles and Jews would often uh, cross paths with one another. That's important to know in just a second. Verse 14, it says this, And they said some, here's Jesus saying to his disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? In this world of secularism where there's all these different voices and all these different religions and all these different shrines and idols and statues and in worship of false gods and here's the fertility god, the god of the sun, the god of the water. In the midst of all of this, Jesus goes to his own disciples and says, okay, I know what the word is out there around who is God and what is God, but who do you say that I am? And then in verse 14, his disciples kind of panic and they try to come up with answers. It says this, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now what we have to understand is these are actually compliments to who Jesus was because the Old Testament idea was that before the Messiah, before the Savior came to rescue God's people, that there would be a forerunner, someone to kind of prepare the way, to to be the messenger of saying, hey, look out, the Messiah is coming back. And in the Old Testament, uh, it was was assumed to be uh, Elijah or or John the Baptist or some of the prophets that the disciples named. So what the disciples were saying is, Jesus, we think you are a very important figure. In fact, we think you're the one that the Old Testament talks about when it comes to introducing who the real Messiah is. And so you must be someone like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah because that was their job to introduce the Messiah. And Jesus 
was there, and I would imagine he was saying, okay, you're close, but you're not exactly right. It's almost like, thank you for the compliment, but that is not exactly who I am. I want to know, this is Jesus thinking, I want to know if someone out there actually knows what I'm about and who I am. And then he goes to Simon Peter, and he says, who do you say that I am? Okay, I hear what all the disciples are saying, and I hear that you think I'm a forerunner or someone that will inaugurate the incoming of the Messiah, but he goes to Simon Peter and says, well, who, who do you say that I am? Specifically, how about you? What is your answer? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. While all his other disciples got it slightly wrong, Peter says, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He got the answer right. And so Jesus in response says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Because Simon, Peter, got the answer right as to who Jesus is, Jesus responds and says, upon you, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And, and even in ancient in, uh, church history, especially around the Catholic Church, it is seen that St. Peter has the gates to the, the, the keys to the gates of heaven. Uh, but I want us to kind of look at this specific verse just with a different lens here. Now, Jesus is saying something very uh, particular, very specific, and very intentional. He says, Simon Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, in, the, in Greek, when the original language, the word Peter is the word petros. It means rock. So Jesus is essentially telling Peter, you are the rock. And so if you would kind of reread this, in the original Greek, you may think you would read something like this. You are, Simon Peter, you are the rock, Petros, Peter, and on this rock, Petros, I will build my church. And so it's no wonder for a long time, every, you know, in church history books, uh, it's commonly, at least traditionally understood that Peter was the, was the church that, that God had built his church upon. But there's a little nuance. There's a little bit of a difference in what the original Greek says. It says, your name is Simon Peter Petros, rock, and on this rock, but it's not the word Petros in the original language, it's Petra. It's just only one letter off, but it's, it's a complete difference of meaning. And it's on this Petra, I will build my church. So really, Petros, Peter is not necessarily at the center of it, because that would be Petros. Petra is at the center of it. And Petra, a better definition of Petra is not rock. It's, it's this idea of foundation. Foundation. So maybe a little bit more of a, a literal reading would be, Simon Peter, your name is rock, Petros. And I will build you on this Petra, on this foundation. And the foundation is Christ. It's Jesus. 
I know it seems like a small nuance, but it's a big deal. And it's what Jesus is describing as what the church is. Here's what the church looks like. There is a petra, there is a firm foundation wherein which things are built upon. If you know anything about engineering or structures, which I really don't, uh, foundation, what I do know is that foundations are very, very important. It dictates how strong the actual structure will be and its safety and its longevity. And so what, what uh, Matthew was saying is that there is a foundation, there's a Petra, and Peter, you might be the first one, but you are a rock on the firm foundation. And, and, and throughout the scriptures, Jesus and the writers talk about us as people also being rocks on the cornerstone of this firm foundation. So ultimately what Jesus is saying is here's what the church looks like. The church is built on a firm foundation, and the structure above that is God's people. It's Peter, it's you, it's me, it's all of us, it's the church, and it's to be built on the foundation of Christ himself. The church is a community of rocks, of Petros, building our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus and nothing else in order for us to be the beacon of hope for the world, to be a sign that there is a better way to live. And this was Jesus' message. In this world of Caesarea Philippi, of secularism, uh, of false ideologies, of hurtful ideologies, uh, of false gods and statues, in the midst of that, first of all, does that sound familiar? That kind of society, does it sound familiar? I would argue, yes, we're living in that today. And in such society, Jesus is saying there's a better way to live. There's a better way to exist. There's a better way to be. And that is to be rocks being founded on a firm foundation, which is Jesus. The word church is this Greek word, ekklesia, and it comes from two different words combined, ek, out of. Klesia is a word, kaleo, so it's out of, or sorry, to call. Klesia is a word, kaleo, and it means to call. Ek is out of, and so if you put that together, it's called out ones. As a church, we are called out ones. We are called out rocks to be built on this firm foundation to love God and to love the world, to love others, to show that there's a better way to live. Ecclesia, we are the church. Donald Blausch, a, for a uh, famous theologian and uh, professor in his book called The Church, says this, the real church is a church of sinners, that's us, who are accounted righteous through faith in the merits of Jesus Christ. They are sinners, however, who are on their way to being righteous through the purifying work of the indwelling Spirit. Yes, as rocks, we are not perfect. Yes, we come with our own history, our own baggage, our own mistakes, our own downfalls, our own doubts, our own fears, our own tears, our own joys. We bring that, and yet God makes this beautiful mosaic called the church where broken pieces come together and make something beautiful 
to show the world, again, that there's a better way to live, to live as the ecclesia, the called out ones upon a firm foundation that is Jesus. And what is this church, this firm foundation, how is this to look? Well, uh, Luke writes it out to us in, in our passage this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and prayer. I love that. They came, uh, they were in awe, and because of the wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, they were all in awe because of the work of the Spirit. All believed were together and all things in common. I love this part. And they would sell their possessions and goods to distribute the proceeds to all who had in need. What a beautiful, mind-blowing illustration of what the church should look like. Willie Jennings, one of my favorite theologians, uh, he says this. He has a commentary on, on Acts that I could read just for fun. So if you want a commentary just to read when you're bored, there's this one called Acts by Willie Jennings. And he says this. Luke gives us sight of a holy wind blowing through structured and settled ways of living and possessing and pulling things apart. People caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. The church is more than just about gathering. Yes, it is about gathering. It's about praying. It's about giving thanks. But it's about being an outpour of God's spirit in our lives as well. So quickly, here are a few things that it says in Acts chapter 2. Number one, they were devoted to, teaching, to the teachings of the apostles. And I'm kind of speaking to the choir, if you're here, if you're watching online, uh, that the Bible talks about the church being a, a and there's an element of rhythm going on, that they met regularly, they gathered regularly around God's word and learned from the apostle. That doesn't mean that you sit down and your job is to listen to a sermon and then you'll learn, but we learn from one another. Yes, the sermon, we learn from singing together, we, sing, we learn from praying for one another, we learn from just getting to know one another. There's something about a rhythm a rhythm that we participate in, a rhythm that God has created from the beginning of time, Genesis. Everything that God, much of what God does, there's a rhythm going on in our lives. This rhythm of rest, work six days, rest. It's all throughout the scriptures in Sabbath and experiencing God in collective community as a, in a gathering, in a place of worshiping together. That is a rhythm that the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 2. They were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, number one. Number two, they, they, they were in fellowship to the breaking of bread in their homes. Now what this means is as we gather, we don't just gather for the sake of gathering, but there's an intimacy that is expected, that is longed for. And I would say uh, being the church is not just about superficial friendships, but about intimacy with others. This doesn't mean that you'll be best friends with everyone that walks through these doors, but it does mean in this collective gathering, we should have folks that we can do life with. And I would say we need this more than ever in this world of isolation and, and you know, coming out of quarantine and, and social distancing and, and whatever it is. And I, I'm not talking bad about any of the stuff that we did, but I do realize it came with certain consequences. Loneliness, depression, anxiety has been on the rise, especially in the last two, three years. 
Robert Putman, who's a sociology, says this, our national myths often exaggerate the role of the individual heroes and understate the importance of a collective effort. We live, again, in such an individualistic society that being by myself, being introverted, and that's me, I'm a huge introvert, uh, actually enjoys not having to do life with others. But we are missing out when we do so. We're missing out on community that draws us closer to God and closer to one another. So in Acts chapter 2, it says, here's what it looks like to be rocks on this firm foundation. Number one, you would be devoted to the teachings of the apostles, this rhythm of gathering, of learning, of growing. Number two, there's a fellowship of the breaking of bread in their homes, which uh, symbolizes a sense of intimacy that we would be allowed in somebody's homes. Now notice, like when you are invited to somebody's home, there's something intimate about that. It's so intimate that if there's a stranger or someone you don't really like, let's be honest, the first thing you do isn't really, hey, why don't you come over to our house? You probably wouldn't do that. You would only do that if you would expect and desire a level of intimacy and friendship with that other person. And so there's a breaking of bread that happens. Number three, they gave to one another. Here's the deal. Everybody played a part in the church, like a family. Church wasn't an event or a show. It was a gathering where people invested in one another. It's this illustration or this, you know, I get this image where people came in the first century to the church, to the gathering, and whatever they had, they just kind of threw it in the middle. And as they threw it in the middle, they discerned who was in need, and they would give out generously. And I would imagine, what if we were a church that not only devoted ourselves to this rhythm of meeting together, of growing together, not only a church that would pursue intimacy with one another, but a church that would give to one another, And I don't necessarily just mean with resources or finances, although sometimes that might be true. Uh, But what about your time? What about your gifts? What about your gifts of uh, encouragement or hospitality? What about your gifts of of truth-telling? What about your gifts of just presence for somebody? What if we offer that? What about your gift or your, your ability to bring healing and counsel to somebody that is in need? And now, practically speaking, uh, you know, with a number of people here and the size of our staff, our pastoral staff here, the reality is we can't do everything. And, and, and we shouldn't and we, because we'd be spreading ourselves too thin. But what if we look at the New Testament model and said, okay, what if we were a church? And I really believe and long for this as our church here today. What if we were just honestly desiring to serve one another by giving of what we have. Again, I don't just mean financially, although, again, if there's someone in need, what if we came together to give in generous ways? But what about just who you are, your presence alone, just showing up here on a Sunday is a gift. Your time, your service is a gift. And I'll just be really transparent with you this morning. We typically, uh, the first of the month, we have an all-family worship uh, once a month so we can worship together. This morning, 
we, we didn't, as you notice. There's, there's kids, and we love that. There's kids in the sanctuary, but that was unplanned. We actually was hoping that we would have a kids ministry this morning. But we didn't because, and this isn't the guilt trip, but we didn't have the volunteers. We have several kids. We have many kids. We just don't have the volunteers. And so my hope, because here's the deal, we need two every Sunday. That's for uh, safety reasons, and, and it's just smarter, and it's important that we have two. So even if we have just one, we'll call it, because we think safety for your children is more important than forcing something to happen. And so that's just one example. What if, it doesn't matter whether you have kids or not, that we say, you know what, I'm going to invest my time in my uh, just presence for kids to teach kids what it means to love Jesus? What if it's to help set up? What if it's help to greet? You know, as a church, this is, as a pastor, this is a lot of pressure, but they say that a person uh, will decide on whether they want to call this church a home or not within the first one minute of them entering. The first minute. That means that's before the songs, that's before the sermon, that's before the service, that's before all of that. It's immediately when they walk in the door, how did they feel? What if a part of your calling is to give generously with your gift of hospitality and welcome? I hope that's a church that we can be. What if there's somebody in need, whether it's a meal, whether it's just coffee, would you be that person to play the part in just putting that in the center and having it being given away. Well, if that is you, again, we are, uh, Megan and the staff and ourselves, we're, we're trying to create what we'd call a care team, which in some churches maybe you'd call those deacons, and maybe we'll call them deacons, I don't know yet, but we're just trying to cultivate a list. Like, are you willing to be essentially someone we can call if someone is in need? Like, hey, there's someone down the street from me that might need a meal. Would you be willing to drop something off? Hey, there's someone that needs prayer. Would you be willing to pray for this person? Hey, there's someone that needs a ride from point A to point B. Could you give that person a ride? Hey, there's a person who's feeling really lonely. Would you just have coffee with them? If that's you, and it's not like we'd be calling you every single day and giving you a chore, but if that's you to be on that list, again, as you walk out, there's a QR code or there's a connect card that you can literally just write your name and contact number, and we'll put you on the list, and we would love for you to use your gifts to serve one another, because that is what I hope our church can be. And as I invite the worship team back up, I would love for us to just reflect on what it means for you to be part of this gathering. And, and maybe, I'll, let me just say this. I know that as we talk about church, it does come with hurts. And it comes with being burned. And, and maybe for a season, God just wants you to just show up. And that's it. And we love that. We invite you to, to enter into this safe and sacred place for you just to worship and just to be with God. And if that's you, again, may this space be just that. Just walk in. Just receive. Just feel safe. We want that for you. And maybe, and hopefully, you'll find healing and redemptiveness with what the church is.
But maybe for some of you, you're, you're through that. You're, you're in a place where now you want to pay it forward. You want to give back. You want to participate. And maybe that's just showing up regularly in this rhythm. Maybe it's praying for other people. Maybe it's starting a small group or leading a small group or even joining a small group. Maybe that's you. Whatever it is, we'd love for you to take that next step this morning and what it means to be part of God's church here in West Seattle. So let's just bow our heads. Let's just pray for just a moment. Pray with me. God, thank you that you've called us to be a church. But it's not just a church that just shows up on Sunday and checks the box for what we're supposed to do as Christians, but it's a church where we meet with intention and purpose, and that's to be built upon you, your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your work in life and death on the cross, and... It's to love others in and through that by being filled with your spirit. And so, God, convict us, compel us to take that next move. If the person is here that just needs to receive, God, may you just bring healing upon them and comfort and peace that they're exactly where they're supposed to be sitting down with us this morning. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.